So I always like to explain what the third precept is because I think it's the most important one uh, that we can uh, uh, use as a handy reference for how we walk through life. And so it's our vow to avoid sensual misconduct. And uh, sensual uh, conduct or misconduct has to do with our sense gates meeting an external object and what we make of that interaction. So the internal base, the eyes or nose or whatever, uh, meets the external base, an object that we see or hear, taste, touch, smell, or think. Uh, internal base meets the external base. Consciousness arises, and the three of these make contact. And with contact comes a feeling. The feeling can be pleasant, it can be unpleasant, it can be you know, like neutral, like neither pleasant nor unpleasant. Uh, and if it's pleasant, we uh, grasp around it. Uh, we like it. Like if somebody says something good about you. <laughs> uh, or if something wonderful happens, you hit the lottery, you know, they lost your mortgage papers and you got the house for free. I mean, something maybe not that extreme, but something uh, that that's just pleasant, like a uh, uh, a friend, uh, saying something nice to you, or uh, just anything pleasant, there is you can feel it if you tap into it. This is what being uh, mindfully aware uh, is all about. Uh, you can feel the grasping around that pleasant feeling. And so we want that circumstance or that situation to stay, to be there, to embellish. Uh, we want to hold it. That's the attachment, the grasping around uh, what is pleasant for us. And then, of course, unpleasant, we have an aversion to. We want to push it away, dismiss it, um, you know, just close off from it. Uh, we want to fight it. We want to, uh, anything we can do to uh, push it uh, away from us. And then if it's neutral, like it can be there, not be there, you know, like we don't really care. We don't really mind. And so he says that our constant uh, uh, battle is with our feeling when the internal base has met an external base, so come in contact, and consciousness has arisen, I know what this is, or it could be I don't know what this is, but it doesn't feel good, you know. Uh, and there is the feeling around it. So we react or respond according to the feeling that's arising. And so I think uh, when we uh, start really investigating the Dharma, we have this idea that it's all about reason, but he said that this is a Dharma that is beyond reason. It doesn't mean we don't apply reasoning, but reasoning is not at the pinnacle of the understanding of experience uh, in, the, in the world. Reasoning ranks high, otherwise you just have superstition, uh, you know, and, uh, and an unreasonable uh, either fear or acceptance of something. Uh, but there is reason, but he says it goes beyond reasoning. You know, a lot of our reasoning is based on empirical evidence, you know, so we need the evidence. But we know that the evidence we have today can be different than the evidence that we have uh, tomorrow or next month or next year. That's why our science keeps changing. I love science. I love science as it validates and verifies things. But even when we didn't have the science, meaning we have not realized what is happening or at least what is happening on a certain level that may not include other factors that we might later discover, 
Um, it doesn't mean that that wasn't there all the time. It's just we just discovered it. And that's what we call reasoning. But you can see the faultiness in, in this. So if we make reasoning supreme, we're going to miss a lot of what is able to be comprehended. That's all I'm saying. So we use, uh, we use uh, whatever wisdom we have. Whatever, but whatever wisdom we have, don't think that's the end of the wisdom getting. And so if we stay open in that kind of way, then we are able to, uh, we're able to expand uh, our understanding of things, even when our science has not um, said to us, this is real or this is valid. I always say I only, only have to get hit by a truck once to know it hurts. It doesn't have to be repeatable or anything for me. And so sometimes we have an experience that we cannot explain or the ones who like determine what is our science experience they have not had and they uh, will try to uh, tell us, well, that can't be true because you know, our science has not discovered it, or those that we rely on for our information have not experienced. So what I was talking with uh, a gentleman, and, and we were talking about certain things and that he uh, felt absolutely were, were not true, you know, and their experiences that I absolutely had. You know, and so I said, well, how are we going to have a discussion about this when, when you don't know? Because you haven't experienced it directly. When you have, you will know. And then we can, have, we can, compare, we can, pair, can compare experiences. But between now and then, the two of us can't talk about this because you haven't had the experience. You know, and this was a really big guy. He's big in the, in the, in the, um, in the Buddhist world. He, and he just stood there with his, with his mouth open, and we've become good friends now. Um, and so that's not the Dharma talk for today. But I wanted to say, I wanted to say that if we, that's something that each one of us can do uh, starting today, whether you know a little Dharma or whether you don't know any Dharma. It's just being aware of and paying attention to the information that comes in through the sense gates and what the Buddha said about it, which is it is not reliable. It is not reliable simply because the, um, the understanding of the view is based on things. Sometimes it's based on erroneous information. Sometimes it's based on just seeing a little snippet of what is actually occurring and you walk away with a certain impression because you only saw or you only heard this much. And then we go off and we create the rest of the story. Um, uh, we create the rest of the story. When he comes in, would you let him know there's a chair up, up here in case he can't find one? There is, uh, there's another part to the story that if we had that, it would change our understanding of what we just witnessed, what we just saw, or what we, or what we just heard. And so the Buddha says, best then not to form uh, opinions about so many things. Oh, you can have an opinion, but uh, don't be attached to that opinion. You know, but once we develop a view or an opinion, like, like we think that view or that opinion is us. And so now we have, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. And so we, we find a way of clamping down around and, and battening down the hatches around our view or around our opinion instead of like uh, just being free for it, it can change. It can change. And allowing it to change as different information becomes available. Holding a space that we can um, allow new information to come in and inform 
the way we have understood something. I mean, that's the most gracious thing that you can do for a person. When you've already established an opinion about them or, or what their value is or who you think they are or what you think they're doing, is to hold space for your opinion to be reformed. And if we just practice that, we come into such a space of, uh, of uh, compassion, and it would open the doorway for a certain kind of wisdom that needs a platform upon which it can arise. And it is the way that it would subdue our habitual tendencies, the ones that we're trying to uproot, but you can't like just say no. You know, there needs to be a, a, a platform, a process for the uprooting of our tendencies. And that's why I say don't be, don't be too down on yourself. Of course, don't be down on others because you have a bad attitude. But then don't be too down on yourself. Just recognize all conditions are due to causes. And look at the cause for this. What causes you to respond in that way? First, it's habitual tendency. Well, if you just keep doing a thing over and over, your body's so magnificently constructed that it gets the signals that this is what she wants to do when this situation presents itself. And you don't even have to be thinking about it. You just jump into that mode. And after it's like, why did I say that? Why did I do that? And just, just start flashing. I'm so unworthy. I mean, you know, we really don't have time for that. And so, and so we have to abandon that way of dealing with ourselves. And when we abandon, truly abandon that way of dealing with ourselves, then we abandon that way of dealing with other people. I mean, you can see somebody heading for a press beat. They're getting ready to say something they really should not say. And you can say, stop, you know, and it's no more than that. Just catching somebody before they go off that edge. You don't have to think about it a minute beyond that. You don't have to make anything of them because you had to issue that, that caution that said stop. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to be thinking about it next week, next month, next year. That's done. Just learning how to uh, uh, approach and be with things in the moment, and then it's finished. Don't carry it on. Don't create the drama because the mind is not good at that. The mind just takes a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here, and it creates a script and a drama for us. It's the same way in speaking. Right now you think you're hearing every word I'm saying, but our science has discovered that that's not true. It like just takes like every five words and it constructs, you know, its own conversation. And so that I could ask each person, you know, what was the last thing I said? And, and maybe each of you will hear something different because we don't hear or see things as they actually are. We hear and see things as we are. And so as we change inwardly, then how we see the world changes and how we see and understand what is happening in front of us shifts. And so this is the good news. We know ourselves, you know, that's, that's why we wonder if there's any hope and if there's any answer because we actually do know ourselves as much as we think we don't. We really do. It's like, I just don't want to see her, you know. But the more we see the Dharma, then the more truly we can understand ourselves. And that's the beginning point, understanding ourselves. Helps us then to understand all other beings are just like us. And as we learn to give uh, some clarity to our predicament, we also 
naturally give some grace to the predicament of, of others. And we find some peace in a world on fire then because we understand that these conditions are due to causes. And we can talk about universal consciousness, but it's individual consciousnesses that create a group consciousness. So we can roll it all up into one person and say, look what that person is doing, because that person didn't position themselves on that, on that pinnacle, on that point. It was all those consciousnesses that came together and they, and they did that. So the answer for transformation, for changing things then, is one by one, individually raising the consciousness uh, of, of living beings. And as we do that over time, nothing happens overnight. Sometimes we don't, we don't see that the, the true is rotted until it actually falls over. And then, you know, we had to get out the saws and we started cutting it up and hauling away the lumber. But look what it does. It, it gives us some wood that we can burn for, for fire, for heat. You know, so everything that's bad does not mean that there's not some good that can come out of it. You know, you can have an infection uh, in your body and you don't know it until you become very sick. So now that you're very sick, Something can be offered, a remedy can be offered. But when it was like low-grade fever, you didn't realize that you even had it. Uh, so sometimes things have to get to a certain uh, place before we can uh, recognize, or at least before we can acknowledge that we are sick. You know? And then we go about spending our energy for the remedy for the cure, not just be moaning, I'm sick. What about you? I'm sick too. What about you? We're all sick. What about, no, but we go looking for a remedy. Put that energy towards a remedy. It can be a little thing, uh, but little things, little things add up. And before you know it, the, the weight or the balance will shift to that which is healthy and that which is helpful instead of what is unhealthy and what is um, unhelpful. And, and then we have to also take a, a kind of personal responsibility. Every time I spew some of my, my anger or my frustration uh, out, I put that out into the world. You know, when we look at, we can understand some things. The Buddha, one definition of Dharma is nature. It's the natural order of things. And we can look at how fires spread and how fires jump and how you can have one little blaze here, and it catches, and it catches, and it catches. You know, so when whatever we're spewing out into the world, it might be right in our household, think nobody sees it, nobody hears it, but we're putting it out there into the world. And that fire jumps, that fire, that fire catches. And so he says we should be circumspect about what we think, about how we respond in every little situation. This is a full-time job. And so we don't have time to really be looking at what anybody else is doing. You know, it's each one of us just uh, looking at what, what am I doing? How, how am I contributing? Am I making it better? I'm getting ready to get to the Dharma talk in a minute. Am I making it better or am I making it worse? And so that's something we can begin to look at on a daily basis is that we create our reality, we create our world. What kind of world are you helping to create? Asking ourselves this question. There, um,
<laughs> oh, I was going to say this is the wrong one. That's okay. So there's something in Taoism called being in accord with heaven. And as I was putting this together last night, you know, um, certain thoughts were coming to me because it means being in accord with heaven. Um, it means having our thoughts aligned, you know, with the most refined wisdom and compassion. And so I see this as comparable to what we as Buddhists call being awake. So the question I ask myself every day from the time that I was a Christian, from the time that I was a Taoist, is am I in accord with heaven? There was a scripture I read one time in uh, uh, one of the uh, uh, prophets was talking with God, and he said, um, uh, "Are you, are God, are you with me?" And he said, "God said to him, you're asking the wrong question. The question you need to ask is, are you with me?'" And so it's something, it's something like that. One, you know, am I in accord with the highest? a way of knowing and, and the greatest amount of compassion that I can feed into whatever situation, whatever challenge I'm facing. So it's a question I ask myself, you know, every day, or I certainly ask myself when there's a decision that I, that I have to make. Sometimes uh, something comes up on me so fast that, that I respond to it, and then I go ask the question. Then I find out in sitting with it that I'm not. That's not the highest and the best. I have to go back and retract. I have to go back and, and change something. So I'm one that's continually changing things because as the more you know, the more you know. And, um, and so you don't have to make a mistake and then just like, I like cover, cover it up and get two or three people to, to agree with you on it. You just go back and you fix it. That was the wrong way to handle that. You know, I'm sorry I said I could do that, but I can't do that. You know, and here's why. And, you know, and so we have to be not afraid to when we sit and, and think about something and realize that that wasn't the highest and best to go back and change it. It says go back quickly because if you don't, you'll get in the habit of covering over. And, uh, and then you'll just be sunk. You'll just be lost. So that's a question I ask myself every, every day. It's a question you can ask yourself every, every day. Am I in accord with heaven? But to approach the answer, to, to be coming up towards the answer, requires four things. First, it requires knowing what is wise and compassionate. And sometimes we don't really know. I mean, there's some confusion about what to do. Uh, we, we evaluate things based on how we have uh, learned how to evaluate things. By, you know, so from experiences that we've had, you know, well, some of my experiences taught me this, but that could be a faulty uh, con uh, conclusion about what occurred. You know, and so you can't always just rely on experience has taught me because you might have examined that or understood that in a way that's not really beneficial, that's, that's ultimately not useful, that is possibly self-serving, that is, you know, uh, or self-deprecating. You know, and so we go when we don't have the wisdom within ourselves. Uh, we go to those that we think are wise. And I say if you don't, whatever discipline you're practicing, whatever spirituality you have, if you don't have confidence in the ones who've shared that one, can that and find another. 
you know, because you have to have confidence in whatever you embrace or hold. Otherwise, there will be a critical doubt that arises every time you have to make a decision. And so it'll be constantly um, not trusting one's own judgment and constantly not knowing really which road or which avenue to take um, uh, with a kind of of confidence that allows you to stand even in the face of, of adversarial conditions. So knowing what is wise and compassionate, and in that way we begin to seek out some kind of, of, of wisdom. The second is understanding a learning cycle and where we are in it, and that's going to be the crux of my talk today, so I'll save that for a minute. The third is being introspective enough to recognize and separate our own unuprooted in unenlightened, self-centered desires from what we actually deduce is the highest and best action to take. And that is developing a kind of impartiality uh, in the face of personal gain or loss. This is what's best for me, but this is what's best for us. And then choosing to do what's best for us as opposed to what's best for me. Now, it takes a certain kind of, of courage to be able to do that. It takes a, a, a capacity to um, deal with the conclusion that you've come to, even in the face of judgment and even in the face of personal loss. So it's not an easy thing to do. But as we begin to practice it bit by bit, we find ourselves uh, capable of doing it. There's a lessening of the sense of self and there's more uh, a, a strengthening of our uh, awareness of our interconnectedness. The fourth is being in courageous enough to even live that, uh, um, that conclusion. And of, of all of these, that is the hardest. So sometimes, like, we know what was the right thing to do, but we just were too afraid to do it in the moment. We know what was the right thing to say, but we were just too afraid to say it in the moment. I was at the, um, uh, the Latino uh, Network uh, meeting, and we broke out into different groups, and we uh, decided which committee we would be on all committees, and, and there were two that, that um, well, actually there were three because we're so multifaceted that we had different people who could uh, serve on different committees, and I was representing all three. So I had to hop to three, to, to three tables. And so when I went and sat at one table, which was the one around counseling, I mean, they looked at me, the rest of the people who were there to be part of the council, like, oh my God, there's a Buddhist coming to sit at the counseling table. We're not going to refer any people to them. You know, and that was, that was the, the look came, no, you're not coming to this table, I know. You know, but I did. I came and I sat down. They don't know me. And so, um, you know, and I participated in that and we, you know, and, and I got a couple of emails after that. We're so glad. Uh, to have you on our table. Don't pay any attention to those comments that, that were whispered. You know, now, I didn't hear them because if I did, I would have addressed it. Um, but I didn't, but I, 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 didn't even, I didn't even hear it. I went over to another table and I sat at that table. 
the education table, they were very welcoming. I sat at another table, you know, they have what they call uh, sanctuaries. And um, sanctuaries are where those who feel in danger could go and that provides a safe house until things can get worked out, you know, uh, in, a, in, a proper, in a proper way. But if everybody knows where the safe house is, how safe is the house? You know, so I'm like, you know, so they have them listed on the, on the web, you know, on the website you can go and here's all the safe houses. Well, I want it to be a safe house, but I don't want it listed as a safe house because I don't want, you know, I want a person to really come and be safe because nobody knows that they're here, right? And so, um, so uh, that's what I said. I said, I, I, you know, something like that. And so some woman got really, really upset about that. But she didn't say it openly. She said it to the person next to her. Now, the person didn't say anything. And after it was over, the woman called me. And she said, I just wanted to apologize to you. I said, for what? She said, because uh, the woman next to me said such and such and such and such. And I didn't say anything. I said, well, you don't have to apologize to me. You know, I said, I didn't hear it. She said it to you. And she said, yeah, but I should have I spoken up. I said, well, that's for you to handle. I'm not going to take away your guilt. I'm not going to take away your, just deal with that, you know, because it's okay with me. I said, she said, but I want to be an ally. I said, well, that was your opportunity. You don't have to, you know, and if you're not up to it, that's fine, because I don't really need an ally in that way, because I take responsibility for myself. There's something very liberating about being able to take responsibility for yourself. You know, you take responsibility for what you do good, you know, you take responsibility for your bad, you just take responsibility for yourself and you try to do better. It's so um, enlightening, I can tell you the truth. Your day will go so much better. You can pick up things and if they're like a hot coal, you can just drop them. You don't just have to like throw them on your back and carry them and carry them and carry them. So in samsara, there's no such thing as an ending. We think of things ending, you know, and starting over. But the Buddha said there's no such thing as an ending because every ending is also the beginning of something else. So if that ending is the beginning of something else, it's the continuation. So it's a continuation. And life can be frustrating for us if we don't realize this. And in other words, if we're rushing to complete the current cycle, you know, the current experience, uh, but uh, without just really making sure we take time to investigate and understand what is happening, then uh, we're setting ourselves up for a destined repeat because we miss we missed the lesson. And so whether it's out of aversion, because we don't want to uh, deal with it, we just want to hurry up and finish it, or whether it's out of like just taking it all in because of our, our greed for it, our, 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 um, our lust for it, our wanting more of it, uh, then either way causes us to not really get the lesson from it. 
So he says that we should just take our time no matter what we're going through, whether it's good or whether it seems to not be good, and see what is the lesson. And it's not what is this happening, but how is this occurring? How is this coming about? We are always asking even the question, why, why? Why is this happening? Why is this? But it's not why is it happening, but how? How is it happening? And he takes us right back to our sense gates because our world is constructed by the information and how we digest and organize the information that is taken in through the sense gates, what we hear, see, taste, touch, smell, and think. And he says that but wisdom, true wisdom, is actually outside of that. So part of our, our uh, practice and the end result is to penetrate or to puncture that, um, uh, that uh, um, what's the word I want? Not, it's, like a, a, it's like a curtain, a veil, that's the word I'm looking for. To puncture that veil between uh, what is illusory and what is true um, impersonal wisdom. We don't like that word impersonal because we like everything to be personal. But that's what causes all of our suffering. There's a way of, of loving impersonally that is not full of attachment and craving. And oh, it feels so, um, so, it's so releasing to touch that kind of love. It's a kind that doesn't require anything of you because there's no you at the center of your world. There is a you on the periphery, but not at the center. The center being spacious and empty allows us to just collide, come together, and move apart. But without that striking center of self that has to always be pleased, has to always be placated, has to always be understood. And when you get to that place, you can be understood or misunderstood. <laughs> you know? When you get to that place, you can be liked or disliked. When you can get to that place, you can win or you can lose. I mean, you do have to realize that we can't always win, right? But we do expect to always win. That's why we're so unhappy when we don't. But just growing up lets us know we cannot always win. Uh, I'm always amazed like when the, when the boxers or the two sports people get together and they, I thank God and you know and God's going to help me to win and both of them embrace the same God. So what is he going to pick between you two? It's you know it's it's always like that. And that's not that's no ding on God. The Buddhists really we re represent and and recognize there are different classifications of beings. We have no problems with gods. We acknowledge and recognize gods. It's just that, you know, I have cats at home. I take care of those cats. I feed them. I know when they're sick. I just watch their movements, you know, take them to the doctor, divine transportation. When they're hungry, food's in their bowl. I guess they think I'm a god. But, 
But the thing is, I don't need them to praise me. I don't need them to worship me. I don't need, and that's on this level with this self-centered understanding that I have. So I'm sure if there are any who, are, who have more understanding and wisdom and compassion than I do, they don't need it either. And so every being just operates, you know, according to its classification of being. You know, so, so cats operate according to cat mind. You know, and dogs according to dog mind, ants according to ant mind, you know, uh, and celestial beings and other terrestrial beings that have different compositions, different bodies. They're all, we all are in uh, the, the realm or s sphere we're in and we operate according to that, you know. And so it's not that these beings don't exist. It doesn't even mean that you can't meet a few of them and, uh, and have an, good friends in high places. Uh, you can, you know. You can also have good friends in low, lower places, and some people do. So don't think that. Um, so we have to learn how to be watchful, and we have to learn how to be uh, Circumspect, because birds of a feather flock together, you know. And you can know uh, who a person is friendly with by how they live and move and have their being in the world. And then you choose. If you choose bad friends, then either it's because you think that maybe you can encourage them by your good actions. If you're strong enough and you can maintain that uh, example in front of them, good, you should absolutely do that. If you're weak and you can't, you need to separate yourself from those and find better friends that you can associate with and uh, ultimately emulate. So this understanding the cycle that we're in, you know, in some shape, some fashion, some form, we're destined to repeat the lesson if we are, uh, if we don't uh, observe and see what is arising in the present moment. But if we accept that the end point of this situation will only prove to be the threshold for another, we will uh, dedicate the time to actually investigate it. And we'll see that in every situation, <laughs> we still have a choice. We have a choice about how we're going to respond to that situation. Sometimes we act impulsively. Sometimes we think we're convinced that we don't have a choice. But if we look carefully, even if it's in hindsight, we can see we actually had a choice. In hindsight produces foresight, produces insight. So this is the good news. We can be striding towards ignorance of the challenges that we're producing right now, or we can just be a few short steps away from peace, depending on our mindset. Mind is chief. Mind made, are we? Whatever we think and ponder on, that becomes the inclination of the mind. So here's a few tips to increase your wisdom and your compassion. Number one, don't be so quick to push away what's happening in your present experience. You know, I'm trying to make them understand, the, make them understand my position. What, no, don't be so quick to push it away, you know, because that's causing you suffering. It may not even be causing them one bit of suffering. 
but you are actually suffering. If the purpose is to uproot and eliminate our suffering, then we need to look at what's causing me to suffer in this situation. Is it actually what they're doing, or is it actually how I am responding to it? And if it's something that they're saying that makes me feel uncomfortable, then I can just let that walk on by. I don't, I don't have to like engage it. I don't have to grasp hold to it. You know, I don't have to um, m put it into, you know, my memory bank and keep rolling around and building something. That's causing me fire. They're not even thinking about it. They're not even thinking about it. But there I am, burning up, burning up, feeling invalidated, feeling misunderstood, feeling unloved. You know, and when I'm in that space, I don't have enough space for anything else. I don't have enough space to cultivate any compassion for myself. You know, like if, if I'm needing a little love, a little understanding, a little appreciation, and you can't give me any, then I sure better be able to give myself some. I need to give myself some if I need it. You know, but if I'm over here burning up over what you've done or what you said, that you're not giving me any, I'm not giving me any, so I'm just a wretch undone. You know, but until you can offer some, some solace until you can give me some comfort. At least I can comfort myself. I need to know who I am, you know? And I can just, I might just have to hold that. I just have to hold it for now. So take time to try and explore and understand the lesson in the present moment, which is I am responsible for my own happiness. I am responsible for my own contentment. I come into a room and, and people, like, you know, I, I feel uncomfortable. I, I get that. I travel all over the, the country and, and I'll go into a, a sangha and somebody will say to me, like, I don't, feel, I don't feel comfortable. You know, there's a whole lot of people who color sanghas that have arisen because they felt that, you know, the sanghas, yeah, actually, it's, it's true that when, when Buddhism hit this country and, and was first set in, not from um, ethnic groups like the, the uh, um, not in the, like, the Japanese communities or Chinese communities or, you know, the Thai communities or whatever, but in the, um, uh, the white European communities, the Western communities, it was done, um, and it was basically kind of uh, an elite uh, kind of, of gathering and information sharing. Um, they came back and you know, we were in the, in the 60s, and it's a time when um, you know, there was a whole lot going on in the 60s. It was a counterculture, what they call a counterculture. Every generation is counterculture. But, uh, and um, you know, there was an exodus from the churches and a, a disassociating from, from our traditional uh, religious practices. And they said, oh, we can come here and bring another religion. We can't come and bring a Buddhist. And that's all we knew. We only knew how to describe this way of living as a religion. You know, they didn't call it a religion. Westerners made Buddhism a religion, made it an ism. You know, and so now we call it a, a religion, but we can't, we can't present it like that because we're not going to get anybody. Nobody's looking for that right now. And so they, they made it into something else. And uh, they went and all got psychology degrees. Um, uh, that's Jack and Joseph and all of them. And they, you know, uh, 
you know, called it mindfulness, and, and we started building something else that could be uh, accepted in our culture. And they tried to bring over those parts that could be useful to a neurotic United States, you know. So, so that's where they were were, were focused, you know. And so, uh, and and so it started with their. Uh, their, their patients, and so it's sort of become like a, a kind of, of psychology, but you know, that's not what it is, separate and apart. There is a thread of life in us that is more than, uh, that is rooted in something beyond just our psychology of how, the, of how the mind works. There is an inner yearning of recognition that there is a, a space within us that is full of wisdom and compassion. We're always trying to, to bring it up. We're always trying to, to release it in the world. And so this is a practice that cannot be separated from our, you know, the psychology uh, of how to live in the outer world and, um, and our fundamental intrinsic nature. And, but that's all it is. It's learning how to go down and tap into our fundamental intrinsic nature and to bring up that good. And, and it takes in part understanding, yes, how we are constructed. And so he broke that down all those 2,000 some years ago without a microscope, without any of the technology that we have today. And here we're uncovering it in 2000. Uh, 18, you know, and we're calling this our science, and we're finding that this is what he taught all of that time. But he did not separate it from the heart, so we now make it the mind, but he called it the teacher, the mind of the heart. And so we ha have to go back to the heart space. That's what gives all of this life, and it's what makes all of us human, not mechanical. And it takes us out of the realm of being uh, methods and techniques. You know, um, I used to be a, a, a pianist, and the, we had to do Bach, you know, because Bach taught us uh, technique. I mean, I love Chopin. It's just, just so, like, romantic. You know, I love Chopin. But you could not play Chopin unless you first learned Bach. And so it's this way how to move from being a technician to being a musician. So the second thing is to cultivate a different way of seeing things. And we have to be willing. That's a willingness thing. Am I willing to do that? You know, that, that's totally in the realm of am I willing? You know, allowing a different outcome or reflecting on uh, something to produce a forward-moving wisdom, to be more creative and to, to produce, remember, because the ending of something is the beginning of something else, so it's a continuation. If I don't like what I see in the present moment, what can I do in this present moment that will make the next moment something better? That's the question. How do I set up in this uncomfortable moment some mode of thinking and being that will make the next moment better. So just thinking about what we think about, thinking about what we say, thinking about what we do in the moment, stepping back and pausing. Tell, you know how we tell our children, count to 10. Sometimes like when my kids would get unruly, they'd get ready to say, I, I, 
you need to count to 10 before you say that. And I'm just telling them as a mother, because I love them, but they'll get out there with that kind of attitude out in the world, and somebody will smack them down. You know, and so, so, you know, we have to train ourselves, and we have to allow the Dharma to be a mother to us, to train us in these kinds of ways. You know, I don't want anybody out there training me. I don't want anybody out there teaching me. You know, I want to teach myself, train myself. But we have to actually do it. You know, and we do this. Nobody has to even know we're doing it. <laughs> Nobody has to even know what we were thinking. You know, we don't have to tell. Oh, let me tell you, I thought these terrible thoughts, I thought these dirty thoughts, I thought these nasty thoughts, I thought these mean thoughts. I, I don't care. I don't want to hear it. You know, you don't have to tell me. You can purify that. How wonderful that is. We don't have to confess all our faults. But if we have offended someone and we recognize it, you know, it would be good to go to them. Sometimes we've done something and we've left someone with the wrong way of looking at things or understanding things. And they took it from us because they considered us someone to emulate. We need to go back and be person enough to correct that. It's no harm, no foul. And when one comes back to us, we need to be, you know, compassionate enough to receive that. No harm, no foul. That's in the past. Now, it doesn't mean, you know, like somebody, the question always comes up with that, what if I'm in a, you know, because we always jump to the extreme, what if I'm in an um, abusive situation then? Like, I mean, you can say, like, you don't have to leave mad, but you got to leave. I mean, it's, it's like that. You don't have to put any extra energy with it. Just take the action that needs to be taken. Mm. Get to really know yourself. Non-judgmentally, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, but clearly. And what causes you suffering? And when you begin to uproot that, you will start to experience a deep and lasting and a sure happiness. And whenever you're out of that space, whenever you're feeling discontent, you'll be able to focus right in. What is causing my discontent? What am I thinking right now? What am I doing right now that is causing my discontent? It might be something that you're doing and I'm allowing. Then what's causing my discontent? I am allowing that. I don't have to go to you are doing. I'm going to I am allowing. So that's what I mean. It's not a get out of jail free card for the other person. Some things just have to be addressed. But it's taking responsibility for your own response in that situation. And when we start doing this in the beginning, we may not be that good at it. You know, practice takes time. That's why they call it practice. You know, it means that we're not going to get it right the first time. We have to keep working at it. You know, just keep working at it. You know. Uh, <clears throat> and so maybe you, your speech might be unskillful. Maybe you, like, just let it out. But you'll get better, and you'll get better. And if you're the one that's on the receiving end, they'll get better if they keep practicing.
Open to the acceptance that your mind has the capacity to love without limits, with no barriers except the ones that we impose ourselves. And when we know what is, un is compassionate in this way, when we understand where we are in a learning cycle, or where someone else is in their development, we will have the capacity to be introspective and humble but fearless. And we'll be able to walk out our mastery. That's how it's developed. And it's the only thing the Buddha said that brings about an ending. Self-mastery brings an ending to things. An ending to what? That's the question. There'll always be cycles of praise and blame, loss and gain, pleasure and pain, fame and shame. These are the vicissitudes of life that go with being in this particular world, in this realm. So it's not possible, you know, to bring an ending to, the, to those um, factors in our life. But the personal suffering that's associated with the praise or the blame or the loss or the gain or the pleasure or the pain or the fame or the shame, that's what will be different. And we will uproot our inability to accommodate what is uncomfortable and what is unpleasant. We will uproot our aversion or disrespect for what's unfamiliar to us. We will uproot our paralyzing fear that we're not good enough or that we can't accomplish something. We will uproot our, the suffering that doubt brings that keeps us from even trying things. We will. Uh, uproot that almost imperceptible suffocation of the conceit, I or my tribe is better than the other. All of that will go away and we'll find contentment and we'll find strength that will make every day worth living no matter how challenging and people and situations will be worthy to receive our gratitude. I saw a woman <clears throat> on television the other night who lost her house and everything that she owned in the hurricane. And she said, I cried and then I was done with it. I accepted, you know, and I just move on. What else is there to do? That's forward moving wisdom. I now understand one of my favorite uh, Christian uh, scriptures and I'm through with my talk today. I understand it differently than I did at one time. It says, and it was, I once was young, but now I'm old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. And I would always pull up that scripture when I was suffering, you know, because I would look at my, and, and be feeling my momentary suffering, and I just, would turn, I didn't know that this was a, a way of working with my mind, but I would turn my mind to that scripture and whatever I was suffering or going through didn't seem so bad. I had some hope that there was gonna be some relief. So I thought it meant I could trust in God to take care of me. This looks pretty bad now, but dun, 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 God's gonna come to the rescue. <laughs> that, was my, that was my thought. 
right then. And at least it got me over the present moment because, you know, now I know cause and condition, things arise, abide, and they leave. So, you know, it's, it's just like that. Things change moment to moment. So it's going to change, yes. Uh, that's the way I understand it now. But I understood it, you know, like a different way then. But now, to me, it means something different, that my salvation is not that, but my salvation is my, uh, and my way of escape from suffering, if you will, is determined by my own thinking. Don't like your life? Change your mind. Craving for what's not present is the cause of your suffering. Craving for what is not present is the cause of my suffering. Isn't it good to know that? It's good to know that the mind creates discontent. And that mind that creates the discontent can just as easily erase it. But it takes practice. It takes a willingness in the moment when you're hating on somebody and you're like, you know, and you and the thought comes up, that's not right to say, I know it's not right, but I'm going, just a few more minutes of this because they deserve it. You know, it's like stopping sooner and sooner and sooner and uprooting. And after a while, the mind won't go there. It'll, it'll go towards pity for them that they think that way, that they think it's all right to do that thing. It's, you know, your mind will begin to change and you will find that you won't be burning uh, because of somebody else's fire. That's what I'm I'm talking about. Uh, it takes practice, but it can be done. You don't have to rely on anyone else for your happiness. I am able, more than able, to accomplish what concerns me today. I am able, I'm more than able, to handle anything that comes my way. I am able, I'm more than able to do much more than I could even dream. I am able, I'm more than able to be just what I really want to be. How about you? Can you say it? You are able, you're more than able to accomplish what concerns you today. You are able, you're more than able to handle anything that comes your way. You are able, you're more than able to do much more than you could even dream. You're able, you're more than able to be just what you really want to be. And one more time, if you can personalize it. I am able, more than able, to accomplish what concerns me today. I am able, I'm more than able, to handle anything that comes my way. I am able, I'm more than able to do much more than I could even dream. I am able, I'm more than able 
to be just what I really want to be. May you be well and happy and peaceful. May no harm come to you, no danger. May you always be able to meet with the inevitable difficulties of life. Your assignment is to sit with this thought just five minutes in the morning when you wake up, at the end of the day, when you when you finished all you want to do and you get that signal that the day is ending for me, I'm shutting down. Could you spend just five minutes reflecting on the day, noticing the rising and the falling of occurrences, noticing our response to it, even employing the hindsight that I could have done better next time I, uh, I will do it this way, and then putting that into practice in the morning. Just five minutes a day in the morning, five minutes as you go to bed and see how your next week is. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.